0: Welcome to Coach Us, the podcast for hungry web developers. I'm your co-host today, Vincent, and with me is...
1: Herman Gamboa. Hi, guys.
0: Uh, So for today's topic, we're going to be doing a dive into IoT and DevOps development with Jared Porsnick. And Jared is our guest for today's episode. He's a senior software developer at Archer First Response Systems, and it's a startup that specializes in deploying life-saving equipment using drawer technology. He actually works... As an organizer for the Orlando IoT meetups in town, and he has a passion for hardware to software integrations, and he's been a developer for for many years. So, Jared, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like, how have you started getting into programming? How you got into, you know, IoT development, or just kind of like what your background is? Expanding upon that, sure.
2: So, yeah, I'm a I'm a software developer, and as a software developer, I see all sorts of new ways of solving old problems and so that's kind of followed me throughout my career there's been a lot of different projects throughout the years that i got to work on and this most recent one is is extremely interesting i joined because the idea of being able to use new technology to do a more effective job at saving lives was just too big of a challenge to pass up i think you know being ambitious and being audacious and trying to take on real world challenges that are solvable with enough effort and doing it like that. That's really what appealed to me about what I'm doing right now as
0: a software developer at Archer First Response Systems. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just uh, a little bit about me. Could you kind of expand more upon like what Archer First Response Systems does just for like the general public or what what is like their mission? So Archer First Response Systems, we're working on a drone deployment
2: system that is able to deploy a drone, track its uh, use, allow it to fly safely, make sure that it's not going to run into any other aircraft, make sure that it's not going to fly in weather it's unable to fly in, and use that drone most importantly to deliver life-saving equipment, uh, medical equipment to people in a timely manner. So right now, like our primary use case is AEDs or external Defibrillators, which are used by lay rescuers. So it's just someone who calls 911 and is seeing someone having an issue, they can apply this AED to someone who's having cardiac arrest and save their life with no experience necessary or anything. And you'll see AEDs like in schools or hospitals, public buildings, but they're not everywhere, certainly not inside homes where. For the most part, where 70, I think 3% of cardiac arrests happen. And ambulances are a great solution to this. They'll bring an AED to your house, but they have to go through traffic and they have to go through stoplights. And paramedics do work that AEDs cannot do. And so we're not supplanting ambulances, we're we're adding to them as a as another resource that can be used by counties. To give to their dispatchers to allow them to, ha- to have another option to deploy life-saving
0: devices. So that's, that's like a very interesting, like, different field, I guess, than what I'm used to. Since for me, like, when I think of software development, I think of building, like, a card application or administration panel. But building systems and technologies to actually directly impact someone who's actually in direct need for like to save their life. It's just, it's just so, so awesome in my mind. It's just so different. And what are some of like the challenges, I guess, that you run into when you're working on systems like these from like a technical perspective or from like a collaboration standpoint, or I was wondering if you expand on that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So the biggest challenge for us in this particular space right now is making Making sure that we check the regulatory boxes and making sure that our system's safe and able to fly reliably. And we have our system to a point that we're satisfied with the safety. And so, you know, the next part is basically making sure that the, the government is also agreeing with us about its safety level. And from a software development perspective, that means testing. So we make sure that our system has a lot of unit tests around individual functionality. We've done a lot of manual testing. When you have a physical device, it's very difficult to, to do end-to-end testing without actually invoking the drone to fly. So we've done a lot of manual end-to-end testing and things like that. And that's part of the challenges with IoT in general, um, in many cases, is from a general perspective, what makes the Internet of Things, in my mind, a lot more, not more interesting, but but, Interesting in a different way than a typical you know web app or native application or mobile application is that there's like this physical component that adds another layer of challenge that you cannot get away from and instead must em- you must embrace it, basically. make it a part of the development process. Because I think in IOT, like it's easy to see the hardware as like a, a drudgery, something bad that we should try to minimize as much as possible, but more and more, and what I mean by that, I mean like early on IoT companies, especially very thin on the ground, like not well-run IoT companies would take a piece of hardware and try to put code on it that will never be updated, but still connected to the internet. And that cheap way of developing, you know—you put the same code on a device and then ship it out and never expect to update it, results in like a lot of security issues and a lot of, you know, issues with bugs and and things like that. And so like the best way to handle IoT devices is to treat them as a piece of software in a sense. So you want to allow for updates to them. You want to allow for versioning of them. You want to allow for making sure that they have an end of life so that, you know, you can put an end date for them. So that they don't end up being out there in the wild for 20 years just sitting, being insecure. Um, you always have tabs on where they are, and what they're doing. So it's an interesting challenge. It's an interesting problem all around. That I, uh, you know, I've talked a lot about IoT stuff, and I've made like side projects and stuff like that. Um, and then jumping in as a paid professional doing Internet of Things things, like there's a whole other set of challenges that that where the rubber meets the road, real world
0: problems that are really interesting for sure when you first started at Archer systems what were some conceptions that you had regarding IOT development that kind of had shifted since you started actually doing IOT development professionally yeah
2: you know I think I had a lot of stuff in my mind that was right like that I think that I've taken those and not just in my mind but like things I've done inside projects and stuff like that but now I got to be I'm getting to be paid for it a lot of those things are around like updating because we want to be able to update our devices as quickly as we can update a cloud you know, infrastructure. So it's minutes or, or seconds rather than days. So we have a physical device that sits in Manatee County, Florida. And so if you need to update that, and we do, you could use Sneakernet where you drive out there and update code, which is how we first started doing it. Or you could, which is what we have done since, created a system for over-the-air updates where you can update it um, from home. And that type of thing, it makes a huge difference in how fast you can iterate and how quickly you can you know, test things in reality. So that's one of the things that I, I don't know if it, it's not different than what I expected, but it's very real when you have to drive out somewhere when something's not working. And now uh, we don't have to do that so much. So. Like, I knew that intellectually, but when you have to get in the car and do it, and actually drive somewhere,
0: it changes your perspective, for sure. Oh, for sure. I'll go ahead, German.
1: Yeah, cool. So I had a question. So just to backtrack a little bit for listeners uh, who might not be familiar with the term. So IoT is Internet of Things, which it's a buzzword. It's kind of a buzzword because it can mean a lot of things. So my question is, how would you define it for audience? Like,
2: Yeah, when... A software developer, and that's the perspective I take because that's my background. Mm-hmm. So there's also like the hide- hardware component. But, you know, just from a software development perspective, we're able to interact. You know, a lot of software developers interact with screens. We have a 2D, two-dimensional space, of a certain size with certain pixels that we can show or hide things. And the internet, And we, you know, are connect, often connect those things to the internet. And so I think we see the value of human networks when they're connected to the internet, the things like Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn and all of that stuff, Zencaster, which is what we're using right now to communicate. Mm-hmm. Before the internet, uh, if we wanted to record a podcast, we all had to be in the same room or we had to be not definitely not seeing each other in video, definitely not all recording at the same time. And so there's like these inherent benefits I think we all understand when it comes to this 2D space of a screen, of having things connected to the internet, and it's becoming more and more apparent that people connected to the internet is one thing, but it's also beneficial to have things connected to the internet, especially if those things can sense, um, if they can feel temperature or feel rain or see things with cameras, and if they can be you know if they can get real time feedback from other things or from people where they interact with the world. So a great example would be, you know, autonomous cars, for example. Uh, autonomous cars are an Internet of Things device typically. Um, and if we had a network of autonomous cars that all talk to each other, as well as to back-end cloud systems, you know, our network of cars could be much more efficient in traveling around than, than what we have now. Because, you know, if a certain highway is overloaded, a certain subset of cars could go travel on a different road and reduce congestion. So there's like all these real world benefits when we connect our things to the internet. And there's also a bunch of real world challenges. So I think the internet of things has a lot of backlash and rightly so for being insecure. Sometimes we don't have a standards body for the internet of things that's that has any teeth. We don't have regulation that's in place that's, you know, meaningful or useful And so there's a lot of companies making very inexpensive IoT devices that are often exposed to malicious hackers. And so you you get the stories about webcams that are broken into, webcams that are connected to the internet, things like that. And so we have real challenges in overcoming some of these problems to get to that end state where we get all the benefits from IoT. Um, But I think that eventually we'll figure it out. I think we're in the early stages still. We're kind of beyond the hype cycle of IoT. I think IoT was like it is and was a buzzword, like you're saying. So I think a lot of people thought of the possibility, but none of the drawback. And now that we're seeing the drawbacks, I think that we're being a little more cautious as a, as a species, basically, in, in how we use this tool. But I think that, that given the long term, given enough runway, uh, g- given enough length of time, pretty much everything that we have will be connected to some sort of network across the globe, uh, like 100 years out, let's say, or 200 years out, like we're going to have a pretty crazy experience as humans walking through a world where everything is connected. And so, you know, that that's what drives me to be interested in the Internet of Things. I, I think taking the long view.
1: The whole thing of everything being connected is exciting and scary at the same time. Oh,
2: yeah, for sure. It's like fire. You know, we discovered fire as a species and fire is very useful and very scary. It's at, Highly dependent on how it's used, on whether it's a good or a bad thing. Just like any any technology,
1: definitely. Because there's not, sometimes you see like the crazy things, like IoT shower head or something like that, which is a little bit out there. But it can still be useful because you can use it to measure how much water you're using. So it's not sure. all a bad thing.
2: Well, that, that that's a great example of something that I think if we can mitigate all the negatives and only have the positives, that becomes a much more intriguing option. So let's say you buy a shower head that has internet connectivity, and you can think of one upside measuring water consumption. Maybe it's not the most efficient way of measuring water consumption, but it's a way of measuring water consumption. There's some value there. And maybe there's some value in tying when you get showers to your mental health or something through a fitness tracker or something like that. Once you start incorporating that into other data sets, it becomes interesting from a helpful, you know, helping you as a human perspective. But right now I could name way more negatives that outweigh those benefits. We're talking about everything from industrial waste. Like, what, okay, we put an internet, something connected inside a showerhead. Mm. Are we recycling that? Is there heavy metals in that? Is that bad for the environment? Is it expensive? How, more, how much more expensive is the showerhead than a traditional showerhead? What about privacy? Uh, if you're getting showers every day, do you want everyone on the planet to know that? Or maybe if you skip a day, do you want your employer to know that? (laughs) So, you know, there's a ton of downsides that are also intertwined with that. But if we can figure out how to mitigate those downsides in a way that we can trust this device to not share our private data, we can have control over private data, and we can trust that this device isn't going to get hacked and start, you know, leaking our private data. If we can solve those problems, and I believe those are technological problems that are exasperated by human activity, if we can solve those problems, then the upsides, however small, become a lot more intriguing. And so I think right now we're at a place where there's a ton of low-hanging fruit with this new technology where there are tangible benefits that far outweigh the negatives. I think that's the business I'm in right now at Archer First Response Systems. And then there's a ton of things that are on the, on the fence. Do we know if they're actually going to be beneficial or not as compared to their negatives? I'm not sure. A showerhead is an example of like, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I don't know. I'm not the person to say. But I think over time, we will start to figure these problems out and, and hopefully live in a future that at least I, I think is possible.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess a question for you would be like, how do you identify opportunities where things can become like IoT devices, right? Because it's kind of hard, like there's, there's the ones I can think of are like your main ones, like measuring water or like uh, seeing if a room is in use or not. Like it's very, like whenever I'm thinking about this stuff, it's very simple ideas, but I'm pretty sure there's like a lot of opportunities. Is there like a thought process you like you have when tinkering with IoT stuff that you're like, oh, we could do this and that could help with this?
2: Yeah, at the IoT meetup that I I actually am no longer a organizer of the IoT meetup. I passed the baton to a couple other people who are doing mm-hmm. a great job. But when I was organizing the IoT meetup, there was an exercise where you basically given random cards. Uh, Vincent, I don't know if you're there for this one, but maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> it's been yeah, a while. But basically, you're given these random cards, and it's like things and sensors and, you know, stuff like that. And you kind of like play IOT poker and you're like, what, what would we do if we put a sensor on a golf ball, what would happen? And then you talk through like, okay, what kind of sensor could you put on a golf ball? What would be helpful? And so there's fun ways like that to think about stuff and that, that can really generate interesting ideas, but they're not all marketable and they're certainly not all things that you, you know, a single developer would want to take on mm-hmm. and productize. So for me, I think what I found in my personal life was I had side projects with IoT stuff, which you can get, like, just Google IoT uh, project, and they'll tell you what to buy on, like, Hackaday or something like that. There you go. So, yeah, you can look up projects, buy all the stuff, or you can get, like, starter kits, which have all the things you would need to start a project and instructions. There you go. Even more stuff. That way you can, like, get a feel for the tools. But beyond that, like I find it very hard to think of new ideas in a vacuum by myself. And I can solve problems I have, but usually the problems I have are problems that other people have solved better than I can. And so what I found in my my personal life by joining Archer First Response Systems is that there was someone who had a sense of a problem and a sense of an understanding of a business that they needed technical help to implement the solution. And so there's a lot of traditional businesses out there. When you think about anybody who interacts with the physical world, any business that interacts with the physical world, there's probably an opportunity for an Internet of Things device to help sense the physical world for them or interact with the physical world and save them time or money. Because those are the big things like time and money, making or saving people time and money are are huge opportunities for the Internet of Things. If you can save someone from walking somewhere to look at something, that's a huge opportunity for the Internet of Things. And a lot of these exam- a lot of these, you know, solutions exist in industries where they're not traditionally like technolo- technologically cutting edge. And so, if you can partner with a business that's doing something that's really boring, I guess if you want to put it that way, uh, and help them solve a problem that's very real for them. That's a huge opportunity because you're stepping outside of the realm of technology where everything's very competitive and starting to to jump into the realm of a business where everything's competitive, but not everybody's good at technology. So you can bring your skill set to somewhere where it's needed, where other people are not. It's kind of like finding you know a hunting ground or something like that.
1: Definitely. I see that a lot, especially like in old technologies, like construction companies. Yeah, Vincent, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was actually reading a Hacker News article recently where they have like new startups that come out in the scene. And one of them was called like Gearworks, I believe. I have to look up the name, but it was a very interesting application where they're using IoT devices and, and NFT tags on gears. So like the premise of the project or premise of the application they're building is when you're at, at like a factory that has like a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of gears, there's a lot of like mechanical assemblies, those send the wear down and break over time. And so how do you track that wear down in a given period? And how do you track when you lubricate those gears? And so that's like a huge problem in the industry, apparently. And they have a system where they actually have NFT, NFT tags where they scan it in, like they'll make notes and then that will then get sent over to the cloud or whatever IoT devices on hand. And then that network will then be analyzed as a whole and they'll see data points and they'll actually be able to track down like which parts are inefficient or efficient. But other examples in that more on like on yeah. the personal side. I use a ring device, you know, for like in case someone like knocks on my door and leaves a package and then it has like a webcam at the front so I can like see if my package actually got delivered. That's probably something that's more directly applicable when it comes to like a personal IoT device that I actually rely on and I can check on my phone and see like if that thing actually came in and I can have a notification set as well there's someone walking by that door. So for me, like IoT is definitely very helpful. And we're we're living in an age where there's like, we have an IoT device right in our hands. It's a telephone. Like, like being able to like navigate to the store, mm-hmm. go, go on like Google and say, hey, how do I get to Publix? How do I get to the grocery store? Or how do I get to this address? That just, it's so powerful, yeah, right? It's, a, it's amazing to think like, how many physical
2: things are phones have replaced? Alarm clocks and radios in some cases, and GPS's, geez, maps, you know, all because of sensors and the internet. What do you know? But I, I mean, I actually wouldn't consider a phone an Internet of Things device purely because it has a screen and typically it's how you interact with it. But definitely, all the same stuff inside is the same stuff inside, in, you know, what I would consider an Internet of Things device. And generally speaking, I don't think most Internet of Things devices have screens, but there's a gray area for sure. My, I have a Nest thermostat, and that has a screen, it, but I would still consider consider that an Internet of Things device because that's not the typical way of interacting with it or, or the primary way. Maybe I guess it depends on your use case, but the Gears thing is very interesting to me. I, I think there's this huge long tail of opportunities in IoT, like the Ring device. People thought of that early on. They're like, "Oh, oh, okay. We have cameras. We have internet. We can we can put that together. We're going to make a billion dollars. It's going to be great." And they did. But you know, you're not going to make the next video doorbell. That's probably you're probably not going to make the next video doorbell that's going to supplant Ring. But there's a ton of long tail opportunities where you're not probably going to make a billion dollars, but you may make a company that's able to solve a multi million dollar problem or multi tens of millions of dollars problem in a year. And there's some huge opportunities in there. The gear thing is a great example of, you know, not only do we have internet connected devices that are sensing the real world, but you're taking the data back to the back and you're analyzing it for real world benefit. And that, you know, that's another thing. Like, yes, network devices talking to each other is a huge potential benefit of IoT, but the current and most easily implemented benefit of IoT is to have all these devices that go back and talk not to each other necessarily directly, but to a cloud infrastructure in the back where all the data is tied together and kind of analyzed.
0: That brings me on to, to the next question. Uh, I guess, what what is some of like the actual infrastructure that you use to deploy to have that IoT talk to or the IoT device talk to the cloud? Or how do you integrate software to hardware development Um, in case for like listeners that are trying to get into it. Like what's like the broad understanding of like how things are connected? Sure. There's a limited amount of
2: things I can speak about our current system, you know, not to give away the farm, so to speak, but I can talk generally that there's graduations from cost to performance and security. So like, if you want to go low cost, and low security and low performance, you could do something like LoRa, or LoRa, uh, which is like long-range radio waves. That's a physical medium in which things can talk. And you could do, you know, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, Z-Wave. Like, these are all protocols that involve radio waves that travel over the air. You know, electromagnetic radiation that moves from a device to something, to the internet, to a cloud. So that's one aspect. You have to choose, like, what's my use case, how do I want to get data, can I plug this thing into Ethernet or is it far away, you know, that sort of thing. But again, on like the lower, uh, as I I would consider at the lower end, there's things like lower end and stuff like that are free, but also low data and high latency, that sort of thing. Also on the low end, on like the communication protocols, you have things like MQTT, which spans, you know, you can use MQTT on very, very high-performance devices that are powerful and whatnot. You can also use MQTT for free, and that's kind of like your HTTP. If you think of HTTP for communicating over the web, MQTT is a great protocol to use, generally speaking, for IoT because it's really low-weight, uh, lightweight. You're able to send little tiny baby messages often. And then you get into like the stack of frameworks and languages. So languages, like a lot of IoT devices I've seen, like if you're talking about really low level stuff, you're talking about C or C++. If you're talking about a little higher level, uh, I mean like a little more powerful edge devices or IoT devices that can compute a little bit more. You might get into like Python. Uh, that's a very common language in IoT. And then less so you start getting the higher order languages that most developers probably have experience in, which is like JavaScripts and C-sharps and Java's of the world um which are not typical for edge devices for the most part because of the power requirements but they can be you can have really powerful edge devices if you want that's just not typically what you have and then you have frameworks on top of that so a framework for example would be something that azure provides or something that aws provides or gcp provides like we're using gcp as our cloud infrastructure and they have an iot specific communication channel, they have SDKs available to put on your Edge device that you can like basically makes it a lot easier to communicate um, because it abstracts all the hard stuff. So you can just like write higher level things like send message rather than like unwrapping it and saying like, what protocol do you want to send the message on? How often do you want to retry? All that type of thing that you would typically have to do if there wasn't an SDK. So these different like cloud providers have these SDKs available to communicate over And so they often have them available in your favorite language. And so it makes it pretty easy to follow tutorials and and kind of get a foot in the door in sending messages to the cloud from an IoT device in a way that's secure, in a way that's not like a typical HTTP request, request, which HTTP is not really built for IoT devices. You can use HTTP to communicate, but it's not really the main use cases for people to press buttons.
0: I hope that was helpful. That was a lot of stuff. (laughs) That was really helpful. It gave me, it gives like a a better overview of just like devices and the technologies used to connect from hardware to software. Mm -hmm. When you're talking more data level stuff though, right? Like you have your physical IoT device. It might be an Arduino, Mm -hmm. might be a Raspberry Pi. It might be a combination of some of those or it might be like a custom circuit board. I don't know. You can have like an embedded program in those devices and also I believe embedded memory as well. Or you can have everything served up by the cloud when it comes to the actual data coming in. At least this is my understanding mm. of just ways you can talk to that device. Are there trade-offs between like having things stored in the chip itself or the IoT device itself versus like actually just having the data come to it via the cloud? Or like how do you cache data like when you're sending over yeah. the whatever protocol?
2: Well I mean everything comes back to the use case. Like if you tell me what specific problem you're trying to solve, it makes it a lot easier to make those decisions. If you need really, really, really fast local response times, you need it to always give a response, even if it's not connected to the internet. That's when we can start talking about having more information on the edge device. Because if you have more information on the edge device, like cached information or machine learning algorithms, for example, then you can start having really low latency. Even if you're not connected to the internet, you can also have it still work. And then you get extra benefit when it is connected to the internet, like holding a bunch of data in cache and then uploading it once it reconnects to the internet. If you're at a place where there's going to be intermittent connectivity, or if you're in a situation where it's extremely important that this thing work, uh, regardless of whether it's connected. So it's like, what's your use case? And that kind of determines where the boundaries are, because maybe that same edge device needs to last a year without a new battery or something like that. So now we have to think about how much power it's drawing and things like that. Or maybe there's a size constraint or whatever. So like all of these things play a factor in what device you can use, how, where you keep the data and everything like that. It all comes down to the use case. But for a typical developer just getting started in IoT, like make mistakes would be my advice. Like just buy a Raspberry Pi and follow a tutorial and then ask yourself, okay, now that I have these skills, what can I build? And then run out of memory uh, in your device and figure out like, okay, well, where do I go from here? And same thing with like Arduinos. Like Arduinos, you know, people make Arduinos that have uh, Wi-Fi chips on them and things like that. ESP 8266s, for example. It's a really low power device. You're not going to be able to do very much with it, but you are going to be able to do something. You'll be able to like trigger a stepper motor or, you know, whatever. And you're going to run into resource constraints. You're going to be like, oh, I guess I can't put this much stuff on it. And that's a learning opportunity because everything is about learning. So don't like, don't get analysis paralysis on what device you need to use or what language or anything. Just try something, fail.
0: Learn something and try again. It's, it's definitely my advice. So basically, there's not like a one all, one fit all use case for an IoT device or a technology or stack over to the problem domain that you're solving. Whereas like you're building a web application, it's like, hey, I got my front end that could be in React, Vue, Angular. I've got my back end and whatever language and framework I decide to choose, and then I got my database level, and then I've have you know, if I need to scale it out to like hundreds of thousands of users, I might have a whole different architecture. But it's generally speaking like either highly scalable or not. And that's more or less the architecture that I'm most web apps fall under. So it's interesting to see that like IoT devices, there's so many more considerations that you have to think about when it comes to what's the problem? What am I trying to solve? What sort of connection do I need from that device to our provider is needed. So I think that's really cool. It's a fun space to be in for sure. Yeah.
2: Like getting outside the screen and interacting with the real world. I mean, I had an issue in designing an electrical circuit for our drone where the solution to my issue, which was an intermittent, you know, problem was I didn't have a common ground, like in the electrical circuit I needed to, to ground two things together that whatever. And it was causing an intermittent problem. And it's like, you don't get that problem when you're doing software development on a a two-dimensional plane. It's a really fun space to be in. It's really challenging. It's just so much full of triumph and failure and triumph again. And and I love it. I love it so much.
0: I I can imagine debugging can be a very difficult process when it's like, hey, this isn't working, right? Why isn't this working? Is it is it not connected to the internet? Did I turn it off? Did I turn it on? Um, maybe something is fried yeah. on the chip itself, or maybe it's not just making the request to the to, the, to our backend system, or maybe our. our there's always that. <laughs> so, yeah, there's
2: always that question in the back of my mind. Like, is this a is this a problem? Because I accidentally dripped. A, a drop of water on this or something like is it not working because literally it doesn't work or is it me yeah and it, debugging and like knowing like learning circuitry and stuff like that definitely helps in, in boning up on the tools necessary to be good at knowing that that answer more quickly but if you like challenges it's a great place to be for sure and i don't want to shy people away from trying like it is so easy to get started and then it's like chess you can learn the rules very quickly, but you know, to become a master, which I would not ever, I'm not going to claim to be that for sure. But to become a master, like, is is decades of experience or years of experience, for sure.
0: You're mentioning something earlier when it comes to the systems and figuring out, like, what what technology you have to use, et cetera. And And then before that, you were talking about testing. And, you know, in case you, like, spill a little bit of water on your Arduino on accident or you're making coffee and a drip goes onto your device. And for the reason it doesn't work, breaks. When you're doing software development, you usually do do end-to-end testing. You do integration testing. You do unit testing. How do you do like automation testing when it comes to hardware, the software integration, or hardware specific applications? Like you just have a physical device that just makes sure it has the current or voltage. I don't know. Like how does that process work? Yeah. So with
2: enough money and time it is possible to build physical automation things that physically test IoT devices. And this happens a lot in larger companies. So for a while we were using a a drone platform built by DJI and DJI has an interesting, DJI is a drone company. They build drones and they're, they're very good at it. But because of world global politics, and questions about espionage, uh, we don't. In, in part because of that, we don't use them anymore. Um, but anyway, they test their drones in an automated way, where, like, as, as far as I understand, that they need to push an update to a drone. Like, they have these test systems that they push it to first, which makes sense. It's analogous to like a test environment in, in software development, and then these test systems will fly in in an enclosed area, like a warehouse. And they'll go up and they're tethered so that they don't fly away. And they'll do like real tests, like and then they'll keep them in the air for an hour or whatever and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I've talked to people outside of the drone industry. Um, I have a friend who helped run the IoT meetup uh, a while back, and he works for a company that does automotive stuff. And he was showing me a physical like automation test thing for something automated automotive related where they send an update to the code and then like it presses a pedal or or something to make sure it's working. And so there's there's these crazy, you know, automated ways of testing all physical stuff, given enough time and money. But ultimately like for the average, you know, people just getting into it, the quickest and easiest way to find out if something's wrong with your IoT device that's hardware related is to have a second IoT device. It's the same hardware. Put the same code on it, plug it in, and see if it works. If it behaves the same way, well,
0: then you know it's probably not the hardware. That's a simple way to solve that. It's not a bad idea. Have a control so you know you have some sort of benchmark yeah. to, to benchmark it against. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've had to actually build a full stack IoT device one time for a hackathon competition over in St. Louis, Missouri. And we drove all the way there from Florida. It was like a wow. it was for like a Medicare. Oh, no. It was like for a medical competition. The pill dispenser. And, and what is it?
1: Was it the pill dispenser or what was it? It was it was
0: a pill dispenser. So the premise of this device. Have you ever seen like those automat automatic feeders for your for your cat or your dog? Or like mm-hmm. on yeah, a certain yeah, yeah. specific interval it just like unloads a certain amount of food. I have one right next to me actually for my cat, but we built the similar system that, but instead of for your cat or for your dog, it's for elderly patients and pills. So, oh. <laughs> and we just built it. Just That's for- a great use case. Yeah, I, lo- <laughs> I love that. You're not starting a company to build this thing for real? That's a good question. We That's just a great did use a- case. Yeah. We said it as a hackathon uh, application just for fun. It was between me and my other friend, Mentoser, who's like really big into, into hackathons. And he usually brings his own set oh, of hardware. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. He brings his own set of hardware, like literally oh, yeah, two so- boxes. And so we literally just took random like conference stuff around the venue, like plates, styrofoam, whatever. And we just assembled this apparatus and we put a servo motor like in the middle of it that just spun a little, a little circuit with a opening in it. And then that would disperse the food coming out the shoot. And that would just read like a, but the pills, pills yeah. the yeah. pills, the pills. It would just check through a database and see like the next event log that got shot over, and then it would read that event. And if it saw that event got updated, it would then open up. And we actually had like a a little like face camera that it would have to go through first and make sure it's the correct person getting the correct pill. <laughs> so that was a really fun fun project see, that we made. What in, like, that's days. amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's my experience.
2: Yeah, that's a great. What about you, German? Do you get, uh, you have held up your Raspberry Pi. What are you doing with that thing?
1: So uh, I've done a couple things, but it just basically the first thing I did was make it into a temperature sense, like a little, like I have little things to sense temperature. Messed around with that a little bit. Tried making a little weather station. It didn't really work out for me because I couldn't find a way to get it outside without it getting completely destroyed. After that, it kind of served as a Plex server for a little bit. And now it's just sitting here. I've been wanting to make it into a router, but I have other projects I want to do. I want to actually make like a little, I know they sell the kit for it and I want to try not using the kit. It's going to be like little, um, like autonomous cars you can make with with them. You can make like some little mm-hmm. cars. You, have, you put them in like in, a, in some wheels and it has like some sensors. And it kind of reminds me because in high, back in high school, was it high school or middle school? I took a programming class where you actually got a robot. robot. It was called the Scribbler and it had like a bunch of different sensors and it had, a uh, Bluetooth thing. So you could actually load up your programs into it uh, from your little, it was, I had a little netbook back then. It was like those tiny, like eight inch screens things. And you can just have it roam around the house based on the program and taking in data from the sensors that it had. It was very limited, but it was still fun. So that's awesome.
2: Yeah. No, I, I want to do an RC car project as well. I saw somebody had a 3d printed RC car that has four motors, one at each corner. And each wheel is independently driven. And so they have like torque vectoring that you can manually trigger as it's going around a turn to kind of like push the outside wheels faster than the inside ones or give them more torque. That's so cool. I just, uh, I, you know, time. Time's always a factor,
1: yeah. No. So I want to find out, you know, how like Roombas can map rooms. It's basically, I think it's sort of like Slam. It's a Slam system. I want to build one like that but for a Raspberry Pi. See if I can figure it out. If I well,
2: you should. What do you hope to you just hoping to learn or or you think what are you thinking about that
1: uh just for the sake of learning seeing if i can get it to map out my house just to start yeah well
2: i know new phones like the new iphone 12 pro or whatever they have like lidar on them so i don't know if that's the cheapest way to get lidar or not I, they also have solid state lidar devices i think velodyne might have one they're pretty, I don't know, it depends on how you look at it. They're expensive, but they used to be much more expensive. So <laughs> like for 300 bucks or something, I think you can get a LiDAR thing. That's, that's pretty good. Maybe even less now. I, I'm just not in that uh, space right the second. But if you want to map a room, like LiDAR is a super cool way to do it. Or you could probably do it with cameras too, like 3D stereoscopic cameras. Like not even just mapping the 2D space on the floor, but also like three dimensionally and then you could probably do some interesting vision stuff man and then like google's ooh. got all these crazy vision apis and stuff you can interact with like ooh, the possibilities
0: <laughs>
1: are endless there was a youtube guy that actually made something like that with the lighter on the phone or an ipad it was like for blind people so you would walk around and it would map it to you and it would kind of like try to transfer like the distances of stuff into your hand via a sensor
0: man I forgot
1: yeah I what name was that youtube guy that makes a bunch of like random experiments it's pretty cool
2: yeah so i mean all of these things which are just fun fun projects are worthwhile in themselves i think mm-hmm. you know i'm always thinking i'm personally always thinking like oh wait how can we make a business of this how can we make money this? you know is this useful for many people but i mean at the end of the day like the purpose of life is what you make it you you decide what that is and if having fun is where you want to be with IoT projects, and that's where you want to stop. I am fully in support of that. I love, I love just creativity in the space as well as the business side and the you know greater good for humanity side. It's all good to me as long as you're not hurting anybody or anything like that. Um, so, more power to people just working on
0: fun projects for sure. German, do you think it's time for dessert time, or did we cover everything that we wanted to?
1: I feel like we did, dude. I learned a lot. It's something I've been wanting to get in, like get into, and start experimenting. That was the whole reason behind buying the Raspberry Pi. Obviously, time is limited as you get older and start having more responsibilities, such as my son, which I need to go give him a shower right afterwards. So yeah, no, I'd definitely time for the start time. The start time is like a little section where we get to kind of blog about ourselves, just let you guys know what's going on in our lives. So yeah, Jared, take us take us away.
2: Sure. So I got a lot going on in my life, but I'm going to just save that for myself, save that dessert for myself. And just talk about something that's like extremely interesting to me. I'm just like obsessed with uh, electric vehicles, right? Like at a deep level, I want to know what they're about. What's going on there? And I don't know, I'm not knowledgeable about electric vehicles, but I'm interested. And so like I Google... EV news every day, which is dumb. I should probably just like set up an automated thing for Google news to send me in my inbox, like news every day. But it is extraordinarily interesting to me. What's just, just generally what's happening in this space. You've got these really tiny companies a few years ago that are basically like, we're Tesla, but we're Tesla for trucks or we're Tesla but for adventure vehicles. But we're Tesla, but for three-wheeled motorcycles with solar panels on them. And then, you know, these companies, they join something called Nikola. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then are they all Shams? Or are are they actually going to build these things? We don't know. Like car companies, I'm super into cars. Car companies do not have a track record of succeeding past 1925, new car companies. So we have DeLorean. We have like all these dead car companies, or companies got acquired by bigger ones. So the fact that we're living in a time where there's like all this possibility, but how much of it is uh, how much of it is real? All because, in my opinion, love them or hate them, Tesla has done the impossible, which is survive this long and grown uh, in how many cars they're selling. And so, like investors are just like going gangbusters, like. Taking these companies, these companies t- uh, you know bypass regulatory lo- laws in in a loophole, and they join with other companies that are already trading publicly, and they basically go public, but they're not really the company that went public. They just merged with the company that already had a ticker on the stock you know exchange. And then a bunch of people invest in them and then it becomes a, either a pump and dump scheme or is it real? Uh, and they are actually long-term investors, who knows? And then, the, so there's like real stuff going on and then like hype stuff going on. And I'm not here for the hype necessarily, but it just adds this twist of uh, this element of surprise of like, where are we really going to land here with with this? And I want the outcome to be that we have many electric vehicles because they're generally better for the environment. And so, like, I'm super environmentally conscious. I love the idea that we'll all be cruising around in vehicles that don't have to be powered by fossil fuels. And so, you know, there's that and the battery stuff. So anyway, I told you that this is a boring topic that no one would want to know about me, but this is just, like,
0: straight dessert for me. <laughs> I'm glad you had your dessert, Phil. What about you, German? What's, Thank you. What's I need <laughs> What in your life, Jeremy?
1: That was actually pretty interesting. I'm not going to lie. It
0: was, it was interesting.
1: Yeah, it was actually really interesting to actually... I, I never would have had that taught in the first place. Yeah, so what do I have going on in my life? Uh, a lot. So after like a month of not having a kitchen and like bathroom sinks, we have bathroom sinks again because the remodel finished. So that is nice. So I'm just thankful I can eat something cooked at home because my stomach was completely destroyed from eating out every single day for like a month straight.
0: Oof. so Oof.
1: other than that about to make my second month at the new job which is pretty cool i really like Congrats. it really interesting nice job man so yeah that's everything i have going on in my life it's pretty boring not as interesting as cars <laughs> i mean cars, well, it's not my
0: <laughs> life i just <laughs> interested in other people's lives, i guess in that area i didn't know that much about like the electric vehicle industry until he until he brought it up it's actually really interesting I mean,
2: how, I think house projects are also interesting. I've been doing a lot of house projects lately. So, I mean, that's real world stuff. That's stuff that affects your everyday life. I, I'm just talking about stuff that, you know, it's kind of like far away, but like a soap opera, but in, I don't know, real world area. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's up with you, Vincent? So for me, I've been kind of going through like, just like, life-changing sessions, I guess you could say. So I've been like really big into dancing and I've been doing it for probably like five or six months. It's a weird time, I know, but we're in Florida and everyone's already tested. At least people are going out. Anyways, I've gone to this point where like I want to get to the next level of dancing It's like the very, very advanced stages. But I realized like I have terrible posture and like I'm really stiff all the time when it comes to like my upper body. So through the recommendation of a couple of friends that have told me this, I went and saw a chiropractor and a chiropractor is someone who is known for, you know, cracking your bones and all those stories you hear about people in the news, like then adjusting their spine. So I went through that process for the first time and it's very interesting. Like I didn't expect much out of it, but I feel like I'm a new person because I stand up straight now and I don't have posture issues. I don't have the issues of a hunchback when I'm going over, like typing on my computer all day, because you know we're programmers, right? i end up also going through like deep tissue massage sessions through like massage therapists at the same time to like loosen up just like different parts of my body that were pretty stiff. And it's it's really worth it in my mind. If you ever get the chance to try it out, like you should always just have like a self like care day for yourself or. Make sure you take care of yourself, you know, before any other things for your family, before your friends. For I think it's important to always have this like self care mean especially as you get older. So that's just something I wanted to say. Man, that's inspiring. I
2: I should probably I'm gonna book something. Gonna that's awesome. I I don't, I don't take care of myself as much as I should. I, I'm gonna have a Jared day. I think.
0: <laughs> you gotta have a Jared day. You can have a German day. You gotta have a Vincent day, so we all deserve breaks. Yeah, now I'm now. gonna have a little bit of what he's having dessert wise. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> just give Masage. me give me a bite of that, Vincent. Yeah, just just go to your to your nearest chiropractor, one that's actually vetted and actually knows what they're doing, and then go to a massage therapist that will kind of show you the ways, and then uh, you go from there. But yeah, that's that's pretty much me. Yeah, do you guys have anything else to add on before we close up the segment?
1: Thank you for joining us today, Jared. We learned a lot from you when it comes to IoT. Nah, I,
2: I had a great time. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: It's awesome. Yeah, this was this was a really awesome episode. Like, I didn't know that much about IoT development going in, and now it's like, wow, there's so much stuff that that's involved with IoT development. There's so many things you can do with it, and it kind of just blows my mind about what IoT is capable of. But yeah, thanks for coming into our show, and we'll see you guys in the next one.
1: All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Thanks for dining with us on Code Chefs. We hope
0: we satisfied your hunger. For show notes and more insider info on today's topic, visit our website at www.codechefs.dev. Plus, follow us on Twitter at CodeChefsDev. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and join us back here for the next one.
2: Uh,
1: check, please.